0: gentlemen may i have your attention please this is it five six seven
1: eight you've got talent let's see what we can do with
0: it you're going to make me believe that you belong on that stage dancing on that show
2: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the movie musical Shakedown. I am your host, Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of OnStageBlog and OnStageBlog.com. Thrilled that you're joining us this week. I apologize for the sound quality on my end. I'm actually on the road traveling for work this week, so I'm actually using a substitute mic because the mic that I typically use is is pretty large and raises questions when I put it through, you know, airline x-ray machines. But anyway... Um, this week we are doing a deep dive into 1997's Anastasia. Yes, I un- I know this is the third animated movie musical we have done in the past four weeks, but I wanted to get some of these out of the way early on. It seems relevant given the Broadway um, stage adaptation that just closed this past year, but now has kind of had this new life on tour and has a huge fan following. And but I promise you, like this will be the last animated. You know, movie musical we do for for quite some time. We'll get back to the live action ones, I promise. But anyway, um, I wanted to do this because it's been 22 years since it came out. I can't believe it's this old. It's got a very interesting cast of actors that, you know, I'll be honest with you, this generation probably isn't familiar with. I mean, Meg Ryan, John Cusack, Kelsey Grammer, Hank Azaria, Christopher Lloyd, just to name a few, Angela Lansbury, the goddess that is Angela Lansbury. So you've got a really interesting cast on the singing side. I mean, Liz Callaway, this is her, you know, iconic role. She sings these songs, still sounds amazing when she sings them in concert. Lacey Chabert singing literally, I think, eight bars in "Once Upon a December" at <laughs> the beginning of the movie. Um, and then you've got a vocal ensemble, which uh, you know during the Paris song and the opening number that compri- is comprised of three Tony winners, Broadway stars left and right. It is one of the most talented vocal ensembles you will ever hear in a movie musical, so that definitely needs to be mentioned. I've got a great guest co-host this week with me, Liz Chirico, who, if you're a long-time reader of the blog, you will know that name right off the bat. She has written uh, dozens of articles from um, you know her time in community theater, to her time taking hiatus from theater, to coming back to theater. I mean, she really does do a great job of writing from that perspective she's she's honestly one of the best and she is a cornerstone of onstage blog and literally what you're about to hear is the first time we have heard each other's voices you know since the blog since she started came on the blog three years ago so i thought that was hilarious that this was actually the first time we'd actually spoken to one another um you know almost face to face i guess you could say but she's got a great you know wealth of knowledge she's a fan of this film so, I definitely wanted to have her on the podcast to to talk about it. So, yeah, I, I, I think it was a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you. So, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to get right into it with Liz. But first, as always, here's the trailer. <laughs>
0: an enchanted world the song of imperial Russia a sorcerer's curse I will not rest until I see the end of the Romanov line forever yes. a young princess Anastasia, Grandma
1: who vanished without a trace
0: Though the Tsar did not survive, one daughter may be
1: still alive. The Princess Anastasia! Anastasia!
0: Alive? Right. Ain't that the kick in the head? I guess a curse just ain't what it used to be, huh, sir?
1: It's the story of an orphan named Anya.
0: You want to find your family, huh? And a dreamer named Dimitri. Do you see what I
1: see? Yes! You think that I am Anastasia? That's why I'm stuck
0: here in limbo. Oh!
1: Don't get so grabby. They're teaming up to find a clue to her past before the evil Rasputin destroys their future. I want to look my best. Whoa,
0: that fell right out. The last of a Roman will die. In the dark of the night, We're gonna have to
1: jump. After you. Mayday. The curse is complete. get the message. Yeah. From the streets of Russia. Oh. To the
0: lights of Paris. I will see no more girls claiming to be Anastasia. You have to talk to her. Finding the truth. You really are Anastasia. Will be their greatest
1: challenge. You will address the princess as your highness. And following her heart. We've been through
0: a lot together. Princesses don't marry kitchen boys. Will be her toughest choice. What goes around, comes around.
2: I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> Dimitri!
0: This can only end in tears. And bring me home and love. Anastasia. I'd give her a ha,
1: then a
0: hi-yah, and I'd kick her, sir. And we're back, and I am now joined by my very... Special co host, Miss Liz Chirico. How are you?
1: Doing well, Chris. Thanks. How are you?
0: Doing very, very well. I am so excited to finally, first of all, finally talk to you like quasi in person. Uh, but number two, close enough, um, close enough right? Uh, but really excited to have you on this podcast. You've been a contributing writer and critic and columnist and, and everything under the sun for Onstage Blog almost since its inception, I think. Like you were really one of the first people um, to come on. To the site, so I am. I'm just really, really thrilled to have you.
1: Me too. I'm not usually somebody on the ground floor of anything, but because it's theater, I am absolutely there.
0: And believe me, when this site, you know, gets sold for millions and millions of dollars, you, my friend, will have equity in that. So excellent. Um, it, that is the plan. That is the plan. So um, today we are talking about an animated movie musical. We're dipping back into this well, but um, this is really the first animated movie musical that's outside that Disney. Treasure Trove, and that of course is 1997's Anastasia, and it's a, I think, a very polarizing animated film. I've talked to a lot of people that seem to love it, hate it, um, kind of feel indifferent to it. You get all types of reactions with right. this movie. Where do, where do you lie with this with this film?
1: So I was a little older when this came out, as opposed to the Disney princesses in the early 90s. I was 16, uh, so it. As a very different part of my childhood, I had already grown up and really could identify myself with parts of the character of Anya, trying to find her own way, trying to make her own way in the world. This was right around the time the college search process began. When everyone's asking, what are you going to be? What are you going to do? I have no idea. Leave me alone. Uh So I could really identify with Anya as she, you know, is kicked out of the orphanage and is basically told, all right, see you later. And she had two paths to tra- take. And, you know, she took the one she thought would work best for her.
0: Yeah, I was actually the same age when it came out. Uh, I was 16. Um And this was like my, f- I was full, like all in on musical theater at that point. So you know, any movie musical, whether it's animated or not, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be really into. And I just remember buying this soundtrack really before I even saw the movie, to be quite honest with you, and just listening to it over and over again. And at the time, kind of, I, I wasn't like digging it, like, oh man, this song is gold and stuff like that. But like, I had to kind of work myself and almost talk myself into saying like, okay, this is a good soundtrack. Did you feel the same way when you heard that music for the first time?
1: Yes. Um, and I think it's a little bit of that Disney bias, right? We're conditioned from a very young age that Disney can do no wrong mm-hmm. and anybody else, therefore, is lesser in a way. Uh, so this is definitely a soundtrack that it it's more of an acquired taste. There's, there isn't that one standout number like Be Our Guest. Um, it takes; it's a little more of a thinking musical. There's a little bit more introspection to it, I think, than than some of the Disney shows that are a little bit more in your face. That's
0: a good point. That's a good point. Let me ask you this: I, as I was rewatching this, I, I rewatched it last night for this podcast, and it actually, to be quite honest with you, was the first time I had actually watched the movie since probably the first time I saw it. Um, the more I watched it, the more I kept thinking to myself: this probably should not have been an animated movie, and it, it almost like the animated elements of the movie, like the bat character and some of the other yeah. things, I felt like those are just goofy things that kind of got in the way of the story itself. And I just kept thinking to myself, this would probably be much better if it was just a live action musical.
1: You know, if you look at it, what they were trying to do with that, that Bartok character is like in every other Disney movie, there's that uh, animated animal that provides the comic relief. I think that was it um but you're right I, given that this draws so much from the quasi historical legend of Anastasia um to have Rasputin so over the top he was scary enough i've done some some reading into the romanovs he was scary enough on his own you don't need him animated you don't need his head popping off of his body and and you know being like half decayed and and everything um so to to your point i think a live action would have made more sense
0: definitely definitely
1: and it kind of like
0: it, it, it with this whole don bluth um animated style i mean this is the same guy that did you know an american tale and you know the secret of nymph which are two of the most depressing animated movies i think ever made right um
1: but in american tales i think my first movie memory in a theater
0: i think so too yeah yeah um and i just i just said to myself like it's not it, you know you're not going to get a G-rated animated film from Don Bluth and and, and this movie certainly is you're not is not a G-rated film. Oh no, um, I mean you, you're it's arguably you know straddles the line of PG and PG-13 almost because of just the violence yes. and the darkness of this and um it's just unbelievable. So it's just, it's just a movie that felt like oh man they keep getting in in their in each other's way of like what type of movie you know, does this want to be plus the dialects in this movie are all over the place, which drives me nuts.
1: Um, oh, like, yeah. oh, pet beef accents that don't work. Yep.
0: Doesn't it work. I mean, you've got some characters speaking Russian. You've got some speaker. I mean, these are all Russian characters, but speaking British and American, like John Cusack and Meg Ryan aren't even trying. Oh, no. Uh,
1: oh, oh yeah. No.
0: And that actually segues into my next, uh, kind of, uh, subject was the casting of this film. What did, you, what did you think of the voice casting overall?
1: So I'm a bit of a purist. Um, if you're going to cast a movie that requires singing, cast somebody who can sing. Mm. And I don't care if it's uh, just a voiceover in an animated movie or somebody live uh, on stage. So Meg Ryan, she's cute. But in 97, she's kind of getting a little older for this particular role. And you can hear it in her voice, She doesn't have that kind of young ingenue sense to her. And she's not singing. You know, Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid, they worked well with a a not-a-name brand person, um, but somebody who could do their own singing. And most people probably don't notice. I I certainly didn't when I was watching it for the first time. But now as I'm older, I really do wonder, you know, what would it have been like if you had the same actress and the same actor in, in John Cusack, doing the, the vocals in addition to their speaking part, mm. um, you know, but to, and to that respect, Bernadette Peters, that woman can do no wrong. Um, <laughs> so to have her as Sophie, I don't even care that, you know, her, I don't even rem- her accent. I don't think is quite what you'd want, but didn't matter. Um, and the same with Angela Lansbury and even Kelsey Grammer. He's a little, he, he's got that pompous voice and it, it worked well um, for, his, he, that's just him. No matter what that guy right. does, he has that pompous sound to it. So it worked well.
0: Yeah, it just, I think you're 100% right. I mean, the, the voice casting, it was just all over the place. I mean, you've got Meg Ryan, who was at the time 38, playing an 18 year old. Um, that's actually the actual age of Anastasia in this film. Um, and yeah, it just, it's way too, way too old. Um, also, just, I think way too American. I think Meg, Ryan, Meg Ryan is quintessential American. And it just it doesn't, it doesn't really work with that character um at all, I mean, same thing with John Cusack. I did, I didn't mind Kelsey Grammer so much because you know it's it's more of a character. Same thing with you know Christopher Lloyd and Hank Azaria, and of course Bernardette Peters. Right. Um, but then you've got some really weird singing and and voice casting choices. So you know, here's a here's a good example. So playing young Anastasia, the speaking voice of young Anastasia is Kirsten Dunst, which is fine. I mean, Kirsten Dunst was a young you know budding child actress at the time, right? But then they brought, then they brought in to sing those like eight bars of "Once Upon a December." Mm-hmm. Uh, they brought in Lacey Chabert from Party of Five to sing just that lo- one little snippet, and I said right. to myself, "Like, really? You just you needed to bring in another actress yeah. for that
1: singing." Hey, how bad Kirsten Dunst could she have been, really, to not be able to do a, a couple of lines, or just just use Lacey Chabert? She she's not like she was a complete unknown, right? If they wanted to cast names. She was still a name then.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing I love about this movie, and, and it's such a maybe a it's maybe such a an Aaron's and, and Flaherty thing, but the the ensemble character vocals in this movie are it, it's a Broadway's who's who, which is so funny to me because, you know, in in like the, for instance, like um, have you heard The Secret in St. Petersburg, you know, you hear Victoria Clark in there. Um you hear Greg Edelman. You hear Darius DeHaas, and Billy Porter is in that um, that that ensemble. J.K. Simmons is in that ensemble. So it's like almost like the the vocal ensemble is like, I mean, they're almost more famous than you know the actual actors themselves. It's just a it's a very crazy casting of uh, of people left and right. So just it's bewildering. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. You know, let me ask you this: What did you feel about? Um, I guess you could say that their take on the historic accuracy, I guess, of this story. Like, we're, we're, there's obviously a lot of embellishments, you know, mm-hmm. I- ignoring the whole Rasputin stuff, like, still a lot of, you know, embellishments for dramatic effect. But what did you, how did you feel watching this, kind of knowing, first of all, being a, a 16, 17 year old, um, and also, you know, re watching it now, knowing how much they changed for this film?
1: So at the time, my interest in the Romanovs and in the, the that historical aspect wasn't the same as it is now. Uh, I think this movie kind of sparked that. I'm like, oh, there is an actual person that maybe, you know, this. obviously Princess Anastasia herself lived, but then that got led me down the road of this Anna Anderson character. Um, who, you know, Mm. was the one in the eighties who claimed she was princess Anastasia knew things that she couldn't possibly have known unless she was the princess. Um, And then of course, years later with DNA proved she was not Anastasia. Um, So, Mm. you know, it's a movie at 16, 17. I I realize it's a movie. There's going to be a lot of embellishments, um, but I think they, they handle it in a fun way, right? There's, you're not ever going to be able to make the historical accuracies perfect uh Even in Hamilton, you have mm-hmm. to have compressed timelines and kind of move and shift thing around things around to to fit on stage to fit a two and a half hour show or in this case a ninety something minute movie um So I think they did a good job of using just enough history um because history you know what's more fantastic than history sometimes than the truth, so they used just enough, and then I think the liberties that they took some of them I don't agree with like that Rasputin um, making him even crazier. Um, but then some of the liberties that they took, you know, having that, that love, uh, blossom between Dimitri and Anya, um, and, and leaving us at the end with the question of, is she really Anastasia? Um, you know, is this grandmother, does she really believe this is her granddaughter? Um, and, you know, you can go either way with it. So sometimes I watch and I think, nope, absolutely. This is Anastasia. They're living happily ever after. And then sometimes I look at it and I think, well, maybe the grandmother, she just wants to have someone to love again. So she's just, yep, sure, you're my granddaughter.
0: Well, that's a good point. Wow. That, I never, You know what's funny? I would never even looked at it that way, but that's awesome. Um, that's a really, really good point on that end. So um, any other general thoughts or, or feelings about this film before um, we move on to our topics? It's
1: just a really fun movie to watch again. I watched it last week in preparation for this and hadn't watched it probably in several years. Um, and it just put a smile on my face you know the animation is really well done and uh and flaherty i mean i've now i I love ragtime um and you can hear that this is that there this this duo um you can hear bits of um of ragtime kind of coming through with um the score here
0: yeah i i agree i I love the way it looks and, and we'll talk about its design a little bit later but there's something that especially the don bluth you know catalog if you will about how they just animate characters. They're saying a little bit more detail, saying a little more realistic, less uh, fantastical, if that makes sense. Um, and and I, I like that. I like, And you definitely see that here in the Anastasia um, design, so to speak. So yeah, 100% with you. That's, that's awesome. All right, folks, let's move on. So we know that sometimes when we watch these movie musicals, sometimes the, there's some sentimental moments, some some things pull at your heartstrings, and the room starts to get a little dusty, so to speak. So I call these dusty room moments where we get uh, the eyes start to water, the lumps in our throats get a little bigger, the goosebumps start to raise. So Liz, let me start with you. Did you have any dusty room moments watching Anastasia?
1: It's the first time around, probably not um, but watching it a couple weeks ago, uh, I was very close with my grandparents. Um, so mm. the scene once upon a December where the grandmother's singing to little Anya and promising, you know, I will see you. Uh, I'll, I'll see you in Paris and, and you know, we'll meet there. Um, that just kills me every time.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was actually right there with you. Um, th- the first time you hear it, the second time when she's, you know, remembering in the in the castle, that's just, it's a it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. Uh, and it it just has this wonderful emotional punch to it every single time that it's it's appears and it, I think it appears three times you know especially yes. you know and and you hear it in the end then um yeah no I I I'm right there with you that was definitely one I really didn't have any other than that I didn't really nothing really got to me if if you know in this movie and I expected to maybe at the end I was gonna feel the, you know a little bit more. You know, Goosebumpy, you know, lump in the throat type of thing, but not really, because it kind of everything very moves very quickly. Like you almost like you don't have time to really reflect. Yes. It's like they discover each other and, and then oh, then Rasputin's after them and things like that. Um
1: Right. And to your earlier point, having this been a live action movie, you would have had more time, but animated movies especially I, I mean it's mm-hmm. like ninety minutes. that nobody wants to do a longer animated right. movie.
0: Right. And that's the other I mean, yeah, that that's I never understood that. Like, like I know it, it takes a long time to put these movies together, but yeah, it's just like, why not stretch it out a little bit more? Who knows? Who knows? Um, how about on the flip side, Liz? Sometimes there are moments in these movies that have not aged as well. And this movie's 22 years old, um, which is like crazy to think that it's that old already. Um, <laughs> so... Some things that haven't aged as well, some things are just like, Yeesh, that, that is not good. So I call these yeesh moments. Um, did you have any yeesh moments while watching this movie?
1: uh so really anytime um, you know, Vlad was kind of ogling Sophie and um, you know, chasing after her and, and the little of that I mean it's it's fun, it's light and obviously she's she's not hating it, um, but it does get to be a little much sometimes. A lot of ogling in this yes. movie, especially yeah. given an animated movie, which traditionally they're aimed at children. Um, so, yeah, that's a little, uh, um, and I
0: mean, I mean, that whole Paris scene is just like, ogling, ogling. Yes. <laughs> like, like yes. crazy. And
1: even a bit Rasputin to Anastasia. There is a bit of he. I mean, he is supposed to be evil. He's the bad guy. He wants her gone. But it 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 crosses a line sometimes of being a almost stalker. I, there is, there's just something there that it doesn't quite sit the same anymore.
0: Mm, That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, my, my big yeesh moments really was just the fact that they kind of ignored, um, a lot of the history there uh, in terms of its accuracy. Um, and, but actually they, they also, I guess you could call this a yeesh moment. There's a very interesting moment where I think it's during, the once upon a December number where she's remembering her family and you see the family walk down the stairs mm. and you notice that the littlest brother has a limp. And I did some checking on this and mm-hmm. I did not realize that, oh, the that family, the marriage there were, I believe, first cousins in some way or another, but there was definitely mm-hmm. like he was a product of, of inbreeding. And that was one of the side effects was that yep. his bone syndromes and blood systems and things like that. And he walked Oh, he
1: had the- hemophilia.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was the, yes. the term I was looking for. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's something that when we get over to the musical that I actually, I love um, that one of the opening scenes in the musical, they show the little Alexei falling and the entire family, everyone stops dead because a fall like that could have killed him. Mm. And so I love those little moments that if you didn't know the history, you'd have no idea what was going on. So that limp there—it's something at 16 I never noticed. Never noticed. Um, and and now it's like, oh my God, that's a great moment.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, and then this was actually has nothing really to do with, I guess you could say what's that's you know in the movie, but it's I, it's a story I found out outside of the movie was that apparently Bernadette Peters was really upset when this movie came out at the design of her character as because she didn't like the fact that Sophie was drawn as a, as a, you know, a larger woman. And mm-hmm. um, I, I guess, I don't know, I, I guess in 2019, first of all, I mean the fact that she didn't know what her character design was going to be like, that's kind of speaks uh, to the company itself. Like yeah, probably should have kept her in the loop with those things. But right? um, at the same time, it's like, come on, like, it's just your voice. Like, you know, it's, it's it's actually kind of nice seeing a, a larger you know animated character on screen like that's that's kind of cool for um you didn't really get that with disney like and if you did it was always a very over the top comedic like you know they they played that up and and this you don't really get that as much um so uh yeah so i was kind of di- i was a little disappointed to hear that you know and i i kind of called that a yish, so to speak yeah <laughs>
1: um, yeah
0: all right so any other yish moments for you
1: I don't think so. It it,
0: it, it holds up surprisingly well. It does. You're absolutely right. It definitely does. And considering like this is the time where Disney starts, you know, it's interesting. This is 1997. So Disney's renaissance is kind of, peaked
2: mm-hmm. and
0: they actually at this time Pixar it, has started Pixar started they at this time like Hercules has just come out for Disney which kind of marks the beginning of the end for their animated empire um mm-hmm. so this is this is kind of an interesting transition time for 20th Century Fox uh to really kind of step up their game and sadly unfortunately they didn't really take take that ball and run with it so to speak but um right. you know it's, it's, this is a very interesting that they they included some things that Disney probably would never do but that actually leads into my next um Subject is lingering questions you know we we sometimes know that with these movie musicals not every mystery is solved so uh Liz, did you have any lingering questions about this
1: movie? just the one where that that ending is is very ambiguous, and is she truly anastasia? I think in this movie version, it's a little more clear that you know she's Anastasia or at least everyone believes she is um but it's that is she isn't she is it is she does she? She pretending she just wants that family that belonging. Is the grandmother doing the same thing just to have somebody to love in her final years? And um, that's always every time that always kills me because so you can go either way with it.
0: Mm, definitely, definitely. Uh, my big lingering question, and again, it's not really again about the, the the plot, but it's more of just the the way that this movie was constructed. Does this movie need an actual villain? Ah. and I felt the same way about the Broadway musical, mm-hmm. and I kept saying to myself. I just felt like the, the story, the the antagonist is the struggle to be found, to be, you know, to, to remember who you are. Yep. You don't really need that extra element of an actual villain there. And I just felt like Rasputin kept getting in the way of this, literally just getting in the way of things. Um, what do you think about that?
1: That is a fabulous point that I have never considered for the animated movie. <laughs> Um, because we're so used to having the bad guy, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, the history itself—that's that's enough of the bad guy, you know. Is yeah, that um, that sense of trying to find yourself um, could have been enough to stand on its own. Um, right. And certainly, I agree with you in the musical. Um, the character Gleb—it's just he's a very weird character, and I don't think they they did right by by Raymond. I'm not going to pronounce his last name correctly.
0: Um, Kermira Liu? Something Car- like that, Kram- yes. Yeah, I hate it.
1: Um, <laughs> which is a shame because he's a phenomenal actor and a phenomenal, terrific yep. voice. Um, but agree, definitely in the musical, you can do away with all quote-unquote bad guys.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to actually, we're going to talk about the musical and how, what they did differently and the reasoning why a little bit later, because it is interesting um, because the choice, I think, worked and it didn't work, but you know, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, yeah, definitely very interesting on that end. Um, All right. So moving on, we know that sometimes with these casts that we get in the final film, wasn't always the first choice. Sometimes they weren't even the uh, second or third choices. And sometimes a lot of these roles were intended for someone else. So what I like to do is do some research and to find out who else was considered for these roles and, and really ask the question. Would this movie have been better with this person cast in the role? And I actually was able to find uh, a couple of of people that were considered for these roles. So Liz has no idea what I'm gonna throw at her right now. So this is like a completely curveball. So this is fun. <laughs> for the character of Bartok the bat, which is you know somewhat an inconsequential role, but still yeah. um one of the actors that was heavily considered, other than Hank Azaria, was Martin Short. So let me ask you this oh. would this movie have been better with Martin Short as Bartok?
1: That's a good one. Um, I don't, Hank Azaria, he just has a way with the voices and that, that kind of petulantness um, that I don't know if Martin Short would have that same kind of kid quality. Mm. But the the accent of, that Hank Azaria uses for Bartok makes it. So if Martin good Short point. can do the accents, then, then that works for me.
0: There you go. There you go. All right. How about for Rasputin? One of the actors that was heavily considered for Rasputin was Tim Curry.
1: Oh, definitely. So definitely. much better because I, I still to this day don't understand why it was Christopher Lloyd as Rasputin. So Tim Curry, I absolutely. I'm think of that movie that he did. Oh, he was the scary devil guy. Um, It's one of my friend's favorites. But yeah, he absolutely could have been a great Rasputin. Awesome.
0: Awesome. All right. So another one of the actresses that was considered for Anastasia. Now, famously, Meg Ryan was the first and only choice for this movie, at least that's what the story uh, is. And actually she was very reluctant to actually take on the role, but they actually did an animated sequence of Anya doing a scene from Sleepless in Seattle and sent it to Meg Ryan. And that's what convinced her to do this movie. Again, I I don't know how she makes that leap of like, Oh, they can animate me. So I'll go ahead and do the movie. Okay. Okay. But um, in in case that she was going to say no, their actual second choice was Jennifer Aniston.
1: Oh, so, interesting. Would this movie have been better with Jennifer Aniston? You know, I don't think so. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it would have necessarily been worse, but I don't think it would have been better because to me they're right around that same age. They're they're both very all American girls. Um, so I yeah I don't see it being any different than with Meg Ryan. Right.
0: And interestingly enough, Jennifer Aniston has never done an animated movie before. So there you go. This might have been a one shot. Who knows? Right. Um, And then finally for Dimitri, this was a long shot on the part of the producers, but their first actual choice to voice Dimitri was Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, So would this movie have been better with Leo as Dimitri? Which kind of
1: probably explains his design.
0: Yes, he's got that floppy
1: hair thing. Um, (laughs) If they could have put Kate Winslet as... Anya, then yes, go with Leo, because the two of them, I think even just voiceover alone, have great chemistry together. Um, But otherwise, going with the older Meg Ryan, you need to go with the older Cusack, because there's something in your voice that, as you age, your vocal quality is different um, than somebody who was, what was Leo? He's around our age, so he would have been a good 10 years younger. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I think... Considering what they have, I think they did a. It was it works more or less with Meg Ryan and John Cusack.
0: Right, and interestingly enough, this movie literally came out um, two weeks before Titanic.
1: Oh, I forget Titanic is as old as it is. (laughs) Yeah,
0: we all do. Um, Right, but I mean, so you really, I mean, interesting point. If you got Leo for this, it would have actually been before that Titanic wave so to speak. So they were already thinking about Leo before Titanic, which I thought was like kudos to them off yeah. for that way. Because certainly after, I mean, yeah, you put Leo in anything. But um, that's another guy that has never done an animated movie either. So
1: Somebody needs um, to animate him. Somebody
0: needs, somebody to, needs to put that. him in a Pixar movie. Come on, let's go. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. <laughs> there you go. Um All right. So moving on, folks, we know that with these movie musicals, you really need four key areas firing on all cylinders for it tr- to truly be an incredible – Movie musical, and that, of course is the singing, the dancing, the acting, and design. And what we like to do in this podcast is go down each one and rate it one through ten and give some reasons why. So, Liz, I'm going to start with you. Let's start with singing.
1: Mm-hmm. How did you
0: rate the singing for Anastasia one through ten, and, and give me some reasons why?
1: I so I gave it an eight. The ensemble, like you had mentioned before, has a who's who of Broadway, and those big ensemble numbers, "Rumor in Saint Petersburg," uh, they're they're like a big over-the-top, splashy Broadway musical number um, mm. in the sound, in the looks and the dancing. We'll get to all that. Um, but then individually, like I said, I'm a purist. And to have your two leads, three, if you count little Anya, dubbed by somebody else does take away from it a little bit um, because that, the person who's doing the speaking isn't getting into the emotions of the song. That's where all the emotions are in a musical are in your singing. And then the person who's doing the singing isn't doing the full character. They don't have the privilege of doing everything else. Um, so they're just kind of dumped in blind. Um, so it, it it has to detract um, in both ways. So that's why I'm giving it an eight.
0: I agree. I agree. I mean, as good as as Liz Calloway is, I mean, she is doing all the heavy lifting uh, in this movie when it comes to the singing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, you even you've got Andrea Martin in there. I mean, you've got oh just some God, really right? incredible singers in this cast. And I just looked at it of that ensemble v- character vocals you've got three tony winners in there like crazy mm-hmm. um and you know it just you, I just wish that they were featured a little bit more I mean Kelsey Grammer he's you know a f- okay singer for for what it is right um you know and, and for what that song those songs are so yeah I was actually right there with you I gave it an eight as well because i I do think that much subbing especially for for Dimitri which I mean if you really look at how much Dimitri sings. Yeah, it's not that much I mean unless John Cusack was that terrible I mean that's it exactly how
1: bad could they have been
0: right and on the flip side it's like I don't I don't know how much John Cusack being an animated movie sells tickets so you you know I don't know if you really needed a name true um there either so who knows who knows but um yeah I'm right there with you I gave it an eight dancing a little weird for this movie because there wasn't much but uh, I I did see a little bit of you know, choreography, I mm-hmm. guess you could call it. But uh, what did you give for this dancing in this movie?
1: Seven and a half, um, it, with the exception of the, the waltz, with, like the families mm-hmm. coming back. I um, think uh, that's uh, the beginning. And then I think that's a dream sequence. There's not a lot of choreographed dancing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, what's there? It is beautiful to see, especially that the family number when they come back.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Um, how about the acting in this movie?
1: This is tough because you kind of, I don't I wasn't sure whether to separate the voices from their animation characters because the voice is not controlling the facial expression. Um, mm-hmm. But this, I think overall, it, for me was about eight and a half. It you know, Meg Ryan being too old aside and you know having vocal uh, dubs, I think it does all come together uh, to make a good movie. Uh, and I mean, if we're thinking about this, this, you know, we could have made it into a live action movie. I think that that speaks to something that um, at the core of this movie, there was some good, a good story, a good plot. And I think some good acting.
0: I agree. I agree. I gave it a seven. I mean, the only reason why I didn't give it higher was I felt, you know, Christopher Lloyd's performance was just too over the top for me. as a villain. And, um, you know, the inclusion of Bartok and I just I, just everything that got this in a, in this in the way of this movie um just i felt really just brought it down um how about the design how does this movie look to you
1: you know so i until you said i didn't put it together that this is the same animator from uh five Goes west american tale secrets of nim mm-hmm. um, but it does. it has a very almost adult look to it um, it doesn't have that dreamy disney feel And which works really Mm. well for this subject matter. It is more of an adult subject matter where we're actually taking elements from history. Um, So you need it to be a little more rough around the edges. Um, And so I think the design of this, it's gorgeous and difficult to do with Russia, with snow having to animate snow crystals and light bouncing off of snow. Um, There's so many technical elements in this that... um, are really difficult to do. And I think they did a phenomenal job. It's a beautiful movie.
0: It definitely is. I mean, it's not as, um, you know, colorful as you were, but I think that the colors that they did use in terms of their brightness and things like that, it really does work with the period itself. I mean, this is not necessarily supposed to be, you know, glamorous Russia and things like that. I mean, it's just, it's just not. And you really don't get that, that, you know, beautiful design until you get to Paris and, and whatnot. So I, I do think it works on a number of different levels. Um, you know, the costuming, I, I felt, you know, as weird as it sounds like you're, you know, grading costuming for an animated film. But because these are human characters and they're actually wearing actual clothes, I mean, I think some of the costuming definitely was more realistic for the period than others. I I I don't know if, you know, Anya's dress at the opera uh is you know, period, Probably not, accurate, but it's so to speak. Um, I
1: I want that dress even now. Gorgeous
0: nonetheless. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, things, little, little things here and there, but I mean, overall, you know, I, I gave it, you know, an eight in terms of its design. Cause I, I do think it's a well, it's a, it's a good looking movie uh, on that end as well. So there you go. Um, all right. So moving on, we know that sometimes with these musical numbers, um, not everything makes the final cut or some things that make the final cut or, you know, probably should be cut and things like that. So we've got these couple sections that I call numbers that we needed, numbers that we could do without, and then, of course, numbers that we're going to fast forward to if we only have about five to ten minutes to watch this movie. Uh, now, with the with this movie in particular, because it's not based on an existing property or um, a pre-existing musical, the numbers that we needed is non-applicable because, you know, mm-hmm. it was really not added, so to speak, but, um, for numbers that we could do without Liz, did you have any
1: numbers that you're like, yeah, probably don't need a number there or wish it wasn't in the movie. There's not a huge amount of numbers in this movie, considering it is a musical. Um, and as much as I love Bernadette Peters, Paris holds the key to your heart. That one, I I could take it or leave it. Mm. It just, for the, the plot, we we get it. We're in Paris. Paris is where everything is going to happen one way or the other done. I don't, we don't necessarily need a big musical number to explain that to us.
0: It's a good point. That's a good point. You know, it's funny. I actually went the opposite direction. The number that I could do without was the end credit number called at the beginning um, with the Richard Marks, Donna Lewis duet. <laughs> duet. Ugh, I just, I, this is that, this is that era where you have to have a pop song as the end credit to in some ways sell the, the, the soundtrack and it's just, it's an awful song and never really liked it um, uh, at all. And so that, that's the one movie I, that's the one song I'd probably boot is the, the end credits song uh, as well. Um, How about number that you're going to fast forward to if you've only got five to 10 minutes to watch this movie?
1: Learn to do it. Me too. That's, it's just such a fun number and they, they, they pack so much information into three minutes. Yes. I mean, it's, there's, this is the beauty of musicals, right? That you could not have done that and gotten all that information out to us without putting it into a song.
0: A hundred percent correct. And I just love that montage of her, you know, learning things. And then of course, like saying things that they're like, Oh, wait, wait, we didn't, we didn't tell her that. Like, right. Um,
1: right. There's some cheeky, funny moments to it.
0: Love it. Love it. Um, all right. So with this podcast, we hand out some pretty prestigious awards, if you ask me. Um, and then, of course, there's the Julie Award, which is given to who we feel is the best singer in the movie. Uh, the Russell Crowe Award is given to who we feel is the not-greatest great greatest singer uh, in this movie. And then finally, the Bumlet Award, which is given to the supporting cast member, extra snippet person, whoever appears in this movie that you just are like, wow, they just they just killed it in that scene or I can't stop thinking about them or, or whatnot. So um, let me start with you, Liz. Who gets your Julie Award for Anastasia?
1: Liz Callaway, yeah, hands down,
0: mm. yeah. And it's funny, like this is like her, just like the Disney princesses of the Jody Benson, Benson's and the Pedro Harris of the world. Um, this is what this is the role she's known for, and this is like every single perf- concert I've ever seen her perform, or every single you know performance mm-hmm. she's she's singing Journey from the to the past. I mean, it's awesome. just that's it's what she does. Um, yeah. So good for her, good for her on that end. And actually, did you did you hear the story about how she landed this role?
1: I did not. Please enlighten me. So
0: they were. uh, Aaron's and Flaherty knew her, um, and they were scrambling because the woman that was supposed to come in and do the vocal tests uh, for these songs was sick that day, Um, and they just they just called Liz and said, "Hey, can you just come in and record some of these tracks for us that we're going to be submitting to Fox for this movie?" So she came in. She sang it and Fox loved that voice so much that they said, "Well, can we just have her do the singing in this movie?" So she just oh, she got it just that way. So, uh folks, if your friend if your composer friends call you and say, "Can you come in and record this?" <laughs> go. <laughs> you never know. Never know where it can lead to. But yeah, I agree. She's she's got a beautiful voice. And actually today, um when when Anastasia opened on um, Broadway a couple years ago, they did this whole thing where she came out and and did um journey to the past as a duet with Chrissy Altomare.
1: I saw, saw I it. saw clips of that on YouTube and I it's incredible her voice holds up.
0: Holds up? 22 years later. Amazing. There you go. Um how about your Russell Crowe award for this?
1: So we're going with somebody who actually is singing in the movie,
0: Kelly yes. Grammer. Yeah, okay. He's, there you go. He's
1: not actually singing. He's more like um what's his name? Henry Higgins in the movie. Um, Rex Harrison. Yep. He's kind of doing that sing speaking.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And actually I gave it to Jim Cummings who, who does the singing voice for Rasputin. And what kills me is that the Jim Cummings, voice is so similar to Christopher Lloyd's that they could have probably had Christopher Lloyd sing it. Um, and because they didn't I didn't think
1: I knew Christopher Lloyd was dubbed. He's that close.
0: Yeah, it's, it's that close. Um, so it's unfair that Jim Cummings gets this work because he's also Jim is also the voice for Winnie the Pooh which I feel just so <gasps> oh. guilty about because <laughs> he's got so, he's and he's done so many great you're voices. Dissing
1: Winnie the Pooh that's tough. Dissing
0: Winnie the Pooh but you know what they called him in to do Rasputin and
1: Yeah.
0: You play the hand you're dealt I guess. There yeah. you go. <laughs> um how much your Bumble to word for this movie?
1: Sophie. Anytime. Yeah. I mean whether she's animated or in person, I, she, there's just an energy, there's a bubbliness to her, um, and especially in this character, she's just fun to watch.
0: She is, she is definitely. I mean, I, I think Bernadette's voice definitely adds to the the bubbliness of this character. But um, yeah, I just love her throughout the entire. She just mm-hmm. steals steals the, the movie for me, which makes what you know what we're going to talk about next even the, all the more tragic in a way. But. Um, we, as, as we know with these uh, podcasts or podcasts these movie musicals um, we'd like to ask one last question and this is a little bit interesting because we've technically got our answer mm-hmm. uh, is should this get a remake? And of course we all know that Anastasia the Broadway musical opened two years ago. Um, it did close this past uh, January mm-hmm. um, You and I both got to see it. Uh, did you get to see it in Hartford
1: when it premiered? I didn't, but I was able to see it with the original Broadway cast in New York.
0: In New York, perfect. Yes. Okay, so let's let's talk about the Broadway musical because I think for most of our podcast listeners, this is probably what they wanted us to get to I mean, eventually. On, on stage, come on now, exactly. Um, what did you think? Not knowing, going in blind, not really knowing what they were going to do with a property like this. What did you think of of the Broadway musical transfer?
1: I thought they did a wonderful job taking elements from the movie that would resonate with someone like me, right, who grew up, who watched the movie as a kid, um, but changing enough of it so that it made sense on stage. Rasputin would not Mm. make sense on stage. He barely makes sense in the movie. Um, So I think that was a good call getting rid of him. Like I had said earlier, the character of Gleb, and to your point, you don't, you almost don't need a bad guy. um, And making, they just, tried to put too much in Gleb. They tried to have a love triangle with him. They tried to make him the bad guy. They tried to make him, you know, the voice of all Mother Russia comrade, um, you know, st- uh, what were they, Bolsheviks at the time.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. And they, they yep. just
1: packed too much into one poor character. Um, so there were some some areas that just didn't work but a lot of that was new stuff that they tried to make for the the musical for the stage production but overall I think they they transferred the best elements of the movie and one of the things I like the best is moving Journey to the Past to end Act 1 that gives that mm. number the, the moment it deserves it's a huge moment for Anya that's a life changing she's trying to figure out you know how am I going to get a family am I going to belong somewhere who am I and I, I never liked it so much in the beginning of the movie, but having it to close act one, it's just, it's perfect for it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I saw it twice. I saw it when it premiered in, at the Hartford stage. Um, and then I saw it again when it was on Broadway and first of all, huge differences between those two productions. I mean, they changed oh, a really? lot, which was, they completely rewrote the character of Gleb, um, in, in his motivations because oh, wow. again like you said it was like it was so unclear what this guy's issue is and i remember watching it the first time saying you don't need him like just get rid right. of him. um you don't need a villain at all and i kind of felt that way the second time i saw it um what i found interesting and and, and people that i went to go see it with and i i listened to reactions since it was you know when you take a move when you take this type of property, I mean, they did the very undisney thing of basically just taking the music from the animated movie and then doing something completely different with it. And um and that can be very mm-hmm. polarizing for its fan base, I think. And it was a it was a bold roll of dice. I think in some ways it worked, in some ways it didn't. Um I think also when you're dealing with a score that, you know, is twenty years old at that time, and and trying to, you know, provide new material into it. I think some of those newer songs worked better than others. Um, You know, In My Dreams has become an audition standard now. I heard it a dozen times this past week in nebraska and i wanted to pull my hair out um oh,
1: but it is it, it's a beautiful but not a dozen times yeah
0: in, a, in almost in a row too which was like laughable oh. at that point i thought i was doing callbacks for anastasia that that's how frequent it got um okay there you go but again yeah i think some of the music works better than others i think i wish a lot of the characters transferred the way that they were i wish you know sophie was kind of the same because
1: it's a different i think it's a different totally entirely. different entirely. she's countess something or other yeah she's um, just weird yeah it, it, it's a completely different person so i was very sad
0: not to have her um I, I remember on twitter when like hartford stage production came out and like one of the the react you know tweets was like no bar talk and like all the all these fans were really depressed and i was like really <laughs> that's like Okay, uh, but what was, what was interesting is I found out later that uh, one of the big frustrations that Aaron's and Flaherty had with this movie was Rasputin and Bartok that they didn't want that, um, oh. and they wanted it to be more political and, and and realistic in a way, and and that's why you got the Anastasia that we got, and I think that it, I thought it was very telling that it got almost completely you know ignored by the Tony voters. Um, you know, it.
1: They have a habit of doing that when it's based in a movie, especially yeah, an
0: animated. Yeah, I think there was a lot of preconceived notions about what this musical was. I do think it's better than a lot of what a lot of the critics said about it. But um, yeah, I think some of some of the criticism is definitely warranted. But it's an interesting musical. I think yeah. it's polarizing. And you know, now that it's closed, and now that um, you you know you're going to start seeing it pop up in community theaters and, and colleges. And, oh,
1: I think this is a great community theater production. Definitely.
0: Definitely. And I think it's going to become one of those chestnuts very, very soon. So um, definitely be on the lookout for that. So excellent. Liz, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast.
1: Thank you, Chris. It was a lot of fun.
0: This was a lot of, this was great. We will definitely have to do this again. Um, yes. Real quick though. I mean, What is? Do you have anything to plug, anything going on, anything you're involved Uh, in? Not
1: at the moment. I am on a performance hiatus. I have a seven-month-old daughter who consumes a lot of mine. Thank you. um, Consumes a lot of the the nights and weekends that I would have given over to theater. Um, But I am going to start dancing again in the fall. I'll be doing tap. And if the instructor is nice to me and puts musical theater on the same night as tap, I'll be doing musical theater as well. There you go.
0: And folks, if you haven't read some of Liz's work on our blog, just, you know, Google, you know, search her name. She's got some great stuff, especially from the community theater perspective. I think one of your articles talks about dance and like picking up dance, you know, in, in, in your 30s.
1: Yes, I didn't start dancing until I was 31.
0: There you go. I mean, that's, that's yep. that was a phenomenal article. So um, definitely look out for that uh, on on. On stage blog, uh, and of course, you know Liz. Anytime you you write anything, it's going to get posted immediately. So you know, there you go.
1: Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, Thanks for starting on stage to give all of us theater geeks a home.
0: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, it's been amazing to see how this thing has has blossomed and grown, and and you have been a huge part of that. So. It's it's just awesome to to three three years later be talking to you finally, you know, yes. about a movie that we, we love. So um, there you go. Folks, definitely take a li- listen to this podcast. You can listen to this on uh, iTunes, Spotify. We're now on TuneIn, which is for Android users, uh, which is great as well. Um, and just like I said, we're going to be doing this almost every single week, actually probably twice a week because we've got a lot of content to get through and you can never do, you know, you can never talk about these movies uh, yeah. enough, so to speak. So not. There you go. Liz, thanks again. I can't I can't thank you enough. Alright, folks, we'll see you right here next week on the movie musical shakedown.
1: One song to song to leave behind. One day more day.